Our scripture lesson is taken from John chapter 8, page 1,232 in the Pew Bible, page 1,232. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 31 and reading through verse 38. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do not, and you do what you have seen from your father. As far as the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, the text that is before us begins with a bit of a conundrum. Jesus is addressing those who have believed in him. But if you look at what he says to them, it doesn't sound like they do believe in him. The, uh, he describes them as having uh, of being slaves to sin, of, of being unwilling to uh, acknowledge that fact. He says to them that his word has no place in their lives. And a little further beyond our text, he says they are children of the devil. He calls them liars. And uh, at verse 59 of uh, chapter 8, which I didn't read to you, it says uh, they took up stones to stone him. These are the people who believed in him? Uh, How are we to understand that? Well, we are to understand that by the fact that not all faith is true faith. In fact, Jesus himself distinguishes true faith from false faith or true faith from uh, fickle faith uh, in quite a number of places. Earlier in John's Gospel, in chapter 2, uh, we read uh, there uh, in verse 23 and 24. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. It says there that because of the signs, they believed in him. But Jesus kept his distance, so to speak. He didn't entrust himself. He didn't open himself up fully to them because... He knew that in their hearts they, they really didn't have true faith. In John chapter 6, after the people saw the uh, sign of the feeding of the 5,000, uh, it says there that they all said, oh, this is the great prophet who was to come, which was true. Jesus is a fulfillment of the promise in Deuteronomy 18 that God would send a prophet like Moses And uh, it was part of uh, Israel's messianic hope that this great prophet would come. And so they have a a good understanding of of who Jesus is, not a full understanding, but what they understand uh, is is true. Yet, what did they want to do? 
Well, they wanted to take him by force and make him king, which was not at all what Jesus was all about. And so their their faith in him was was a very corrupted faith. It, it wasn't a true faith. And when Jesus went on in that same chapter, John chapter 6, to talk about the fact that uh, they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood, and then they, uh, the disciples of Jesus, not the twelve, but the, the large crowd of disciples, said, this is a hard saying. Who can accept this? And from that time, many of the disciples stopped following him. Uh, being a disciple, being a believer, is not uh, a, a thing that is beyond uh, questioning the sincerity of it. Uh, Jesus uh, taught us to expect this in the parable of the four soils, where uh, he describes uh, the seed falling on some soil and uh, starting to grow, but then uh, the, uh, the cares of this world and uh, trouble and persecution come, and uh, it doesn't take root and it doesn't bear fruit. Uh, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. Uh, people receive the word with joy, but then because of trouble or persecution or the deceitfulness of riches, uh, the word is choked out and, and never amounts to anything. Uh, in uh, Luke chapter 9, uh, he warned, Jesus warned those who uh, wanted to follow him that they needed to count the cost. He's almost discouraging people, saying, you want to be a follower of me? then, uh, listen, you, you need to think about it. You need to decide whether you really want this or not. And he went on to say to them, uh, if you want to follow me, you have to learn to hate your father and mother. Uh, now, by that, he didn't mean you have to break the, the, uh, the fifth commandment to honor father and mother, but he was talking about the situation where father and mother might not be Christians and might try to discourage you from following Christ and... Uh, if uh, even in the book of Deuteronomy, you know, it says if if your best friend comes and says, let's go worship other gods, or if your wife comes and says to you, let's go worship other gods, then you have to inform on them. And that person has to be dealt with according to the discipline of the law of Moses, which meant uh, a capital crime, worshiping other gods. Uh, you have to be against your own family members if your own family members are trying to lead you away from Christ. He went on to say, count the cost. You have to, you have to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Again, he's, he's cautioning these would-be followers, these would-be disciples, these would-be believers. Uh, you better think about this. This is more than, than what you're initially uh, thinking about. And, uh, so it was that he recognized that, uh, there are lots of people who, who when they hear the gospel say, oh, this is great, but don't uh, really understand it and, uh, and follow accordingly. Fickle faith is a, is a perennial problem. It appears in every age, in every place where people try to appropriate Jesus to support their own ideas of what they think is needed in the world. And uh, we have to examine our hearts as well. You and I are, are here today because... Uh, we're followers of, of Jesus, but are you truly his disciple? 
Or are you, is your faith also a, a fickle, self-centered faith that will disappear if Jesus doesn't measure up to your expectations, if, if you don't get what you want from him? He's calling us to, to examine ourselves. Paul says that in one of his letters to the Corinthians. Examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. Well, this is a, a text designed to make us think about our own faith and, and just how deep does it go? Is it true faith or is it fickle faith? Now, in order to answer that question, we need to know what, well, what distinguishes true faith from false faith. Well, the distinguishing mark of true faith is that Jesus says, my word abides in you. If my word abides in you, then you are truly my disciples. What does that mean? Well, to abide means to, to remain, to hold fast. It means to persevere, uh, to persevere in the word and in the teaching of Jesus. Uh, the object of such perseverance is the word. But in uh, John 15, uh, Jesus also says the object of our perseverance or abiding must be him. Uh, he says, uh, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, uh, there the two things are pretty much the same thing, or one is the means to the other. Abiding in, uh, we abide in Christ by abiding in his word. And when we abide in his word, we abide in Christ. First John uh, chapter 2, uh, the apostle says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And then in his second epistle, John says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. This is a common theme uh, throughout the scriptures. Uh, in Hebrews 3, it says, uh, for if we have come to share in, we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence uh, from uh, firm to the end. Holding our original confidence means holding on to, to the truth. Uh, Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. If you don't hold fast... <laughs> You believed in vain. Uh, there are, uh, there is the need to receive the gospel, but then also to persevere if we are to have the assurance that our faith is real. Uh, uh, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but true faith is faith that perseveres. And uh, that is what uh, Jesus uh, understands, what Paul understands, what the writer of Hebrew understands, and uh, what uh, we need to understand, that we, we need to persevere in the faith. Remember that John has written this gospel to bring people to faith in Christ, but like Christ, John doesn't want to encourage a fickle faith that does not count the cost. John doesn't want to see the church flooded with false believers whose presence and eventual departure weakens the witness of the church and discourages true believers. We should not make it hard for people to become members of the church, demanding more than Jesus did. But we should recognize that Jesus turned people away who initially said that they believed in him. 
This calls for wisdom, especially on the part of the elders as they examine those who desire to profess faith in Christ and assume full responsibilities of membership in the church. Uh, we want to encourage, but we also want to recognize that uh, these people are ready to take up their cross, deny themselves and follow Jesus and persevere in the truth. Now, one truth in particular is a truth that uh, we need to persevere in, and that is that uh, uh, that we're sinners, that we're slaves to sin. Uh, the distinguishing mark of these disciples, who Jesus uh, shows to be false disciples, is that he says, my word has no place in you. And there is one particular word that has no place in them, and that is that they are slaves to sin. He says, if the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. And uh, they see no reason to be set free. They, they believe themselves to be uh, quite free. Almost all the Jews, regardless of their political status through the centuries, saw themselves as children of Abraham, as uh, descendants uh, from uh, kings. They were the beloved children of God, free in their hearts and minds and slaves to no one. They were proud. They never saw themselves beneath uh, anyone, even though they had lived uh, a good deal of their history under political domination of first the Syrians, then the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Medo-Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. They were under political denomination, but in their hearts they always saw themselves as the, the free children of God. Well, Jesus had a different idea about freedom. He said that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If you are a sinner, then you are a slave a slave to sin, that word found no place in their hearts. They rejected that word. You need to think about freedom. What is freedom? You know, most people think of freedom as freedom from. But to really understand what freedom is, we, we ought to understand as freedom as freedom for. Freedom from or freedom for. Uh, freedom in the minds of many is, well, I'm free if I'm free from all rules. Um, I'm free if I'm free from all people telling me what to do and commanding me what to do. Free, I'm free if I can do whatever I want. Freedom, free from all restraint. Uh, that's the way most people define freedom. But freedom from all restraint isn't real freedom because you're still a slave then to your own will. You say, I'm independent. I, I do what I want. Well, then, who is your master? Your own will is your master. You're, you're a slave to yourself. And if your heart is corrupt, you're, uh, you're, you're a slave to a corrupt master. No one is truly free of a master. It's not a matter of uh, having a master or not having a master. It's who is your master? Is is Christ your master, or are you the master of your own life? Um, for example, a young man may say, I, I don't live for anyone or anything but myself. I'm, I'm totally free. I'm independent. I'm the master of my own fate. Well, he may be the master of his own fate, but if that is the case, then he really isn't free to enter into a loving relationship in, in marriage with a woman where 
he says to that woman, my chief happiness is to make you happy. Your happiness is ahead of mine. His, his independence, his rigid independence will prevent him from doing that. He'll, he'll, he'll try to use her for his own ends and to meet his own needs, but he can never, as long as he master is the master of himself, say to her, I love you with a, a biblical love that says, uh, I submit to you, you know, uh, submit to one another, says uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians uh, 5 concerning marriage. Uh, husbands and wives need to submit to one another. Uh, he's not free to enter into that kind of marriage because his independence prevents him. He's, he's mastered by something else. Uh, he's not free to be all that God wants us to be in every area of our lives. You know, uh, true freedom is is becoming what God wants you to be. Think of a, a, an automobile instead of a human being. Uh, if your car is to be free to be a car, then you and to take you safely and efficiently, efficiently to wherever you go, then you need to submit to the manufacturer's specifications regarding that car. You need to put the right kind of fuel in it. And if it runs on gas, you, you, you put gas in it. If it runs on diesel, you put diesel in it. You know, uh, you can't just say, I'm free to do as I please with my car, and uh, even though it's a gasoline engine, I'm going to put uh, diesel fuel in it. No, uh, you need to put the right kind of fuel. You need the right uh, uh, regular uh, routine maintenance, scheduled maintenance has to be done. You need air in the tires. Uh, you need all sorts of things in order for that car. You have to submit to all sorts of rules and regulations for that car to be free to be a car and, and do what cars are supposed to do. Well, the same is, is true with regard to your life. If, say, uh, God has uh, equipped you and, and, and called you to be a musician. Well, if you're going to be a musician, then you have to submit to the discipline of taking lessons. You have to begin when you're five or six years old, or you're maybe younger, maybe a little older, uh, but uh, you, you got to go take lessons, and then you've got to practice your scales, and, and then you have to practice these uh, little songs, and then you have to practice the harder pieces, and you have to spend hours and hours, week after week, uh, practicing and working hard, in order to become an accomplished musician. Well, the same is true if God has called you to be a farmer. You know, if you uh, uh, want to be a farmer someday like your dad, well, you've got to follow in his footsteps. And you've got to say, Dad, why did, why did you do that? And uh, how does this work? And, and you've got to watch and, and learn. And, and then maybe you even have to go to school and learn to read and write uh, in order to be able to uh, read uh, the manuals that come with the equipment and the instructions that come with the seed and the chemicals. And, and maybe you even need to go to college and take some ag business courses because uh, farming isn't just planting and harvesting. It's also running a business. And there's all kinds of things you have to submit to and learn. It's, it's hard work if you want to be a farmer or a welder or a teacher or a doctor or a pharmacist or uh, a mom. Uh, there's all kinds of things you need to learn and submit to if you're to blossom and be free to do the things that God wants you to do, that he's called you to do in this life. To be free to do something, you need to submit to all sorts of 
training and education and rules and regulations that govern that particular field in which you want to uh, blossom and shine. Well, in order to uh, thrive physically, you know, uh, I, I can't just do as I please. I may want to eat a, a large bowl of ice cream every night before I go to bed, but my body wasn't meant to run on on uh, sugar and, and, and saturated fat. That just uh, a steady diet of that is going to be detrimental to my health, you know. Uh, moms, you, you want to feed your kids uh, so that they grow up healthy and strong. You can probably get away with giving them hot dogs and potato chip and Oreo fluff. Uh, but uh, if you make a, a steady diet of that, <laughs> it's not going to work out. It's not going to end up too healthy for the kids if that's all they get every night, night after night. No, they need some green beans and some broccoli and some uh, low-fat meats and, and so forth if they're to, to prosper and thrive. Well, if we're to prosper and thrive spiritually, too, we need to uh, uh, not to fill our lives with uh, bitterness and anger and slander and malice and obscene talk and coarse jesting or sexual immorality or impurity or sensuality or idolatry or sorcery or enmity and strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the thing and things like these, which Paul says... I have warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We were meant to run on those things. You may say, I want to be free. I want to be free to do anything I want. Well, you fill your life with that. It's like putting diesel fuel in a, in a gasoline car. It's, it's disaster. It's not going to work. If you want to be free to be a human being, then his word has to abide in you. You have to submit to his word. And submitting to his word means, first of all, submitting to the fact that, that we are broken and we need to be fixed and only he can fix us. Only his atoning death can pay for our guilt and only the power of his resurrection spirit working in us can enable us to, to live new lives that are pleasing to him. We need to look to Jesus and make him our master. Then we will be free. If the son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. When Jesus says, uh, uh, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's not teaching that uh, uh, where salvation comes by intellectual compre- comprehension of uh, abstract truths. Rather, he's saying, if you know the truth, you'll know me because he is the way, the truth and the life. If you uh, abide in his word, you will abide in him. And his word uh, will uh, set you free because he will set you free. You will know the truth and he will set you free from slavery to sin so that you can be free to live a life that God designed for you when he made you in his image. Jesus said, this is life, that they may know you and know Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John writes in his epistle, we know that the Son has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. The text verse tells us the truth that uh, will set us free. And then says it is the son who will set you free. Well, those are not contradictions. Jesus is the truth. The truth is the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is what sets us free from sin. And so you have to ask yourself, am I a true disciple? 
Am I a true disciple? Does this word abide in me? Does this word come home to me that, that I am a slave to sin and only Jesus Christ can set me free from sin? It's not a very complimentary word. And a lot of people don't like it. There are a lot of people for whom Christianity has nothing to do with sin. You can uh, hear it on the television all the time, the health and wellness gospel, the uh, social welfare gospel, the uh, social justice gospel. It's all about uh, uh, Christ uh, helping us uh, be uh, whatever we want to be, you know, do whatever we want to do. Have whatever you want to have. Uh, Jesus is there as your heavenly uh, uh, butler to uh, provide uh, whatever you think is good in your life. And uh, nothing about sin or humbling ourselves, confessing our sins, seeking salvation through his atoning work. There's a plenty of brands of Christianity in the world today that that don't like this word. But Jesus says, this is the word. If this word abides in you, then you are truly my disciples. Our text warns us that slaves are in a slippery place. They have no guaranteed future. Their owner can at any time uh, sell them or assign them new duties and make their lives uh, even more miserable. Anyone who is a slave to sin has uh, the same tenuous hold on life. Sin is deadly and it will bring you to the grave sooner or later while it makes your life miserable in the meantime. But the son has a permanent place in the home. He's assured of the father's love and uh, the father's inheritance. And Jesus is the preeminent son, the eternal son, the beloved son. And when the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ to give you strength to live a new life. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ to enable you to be free, to be all that God has created you to be. Submit to his lordship and you will be free indeed. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to uh, look to Jesus and to uh, see in him the truth that we need in order to be free, to be free from the power and enslavement of sin that uh, uh, governs us all apart from uh, your grace and mercy. We pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts through the power of your spirits to show us our sin and uh, to see in Jesus the one who we need. We ask in his name. Amen.